4, Colossians chapter 4. And you can turn there. If you're turning there, we have a family that's going to work with the young people. So our young people can head out for time in the Word. Go ahead. And those uh, kind of like fifth grade on down, sixth grade on down, something like that, fourth grade on down, whatever, can head on out for time in the Word. If any adults go, they send them back. Sorry, you just don't get it. All right, Colossians chapter 4. And you're getting there. Your people are heading on out for time in the Word themselves. Appreciate uh, I do. I, I am so thankful for families that help us out. We've got families that basically take a month at a time. Um, actually, we've got families that clean, basically take a month at a time, help us with cleaning here at the church. And then we have folks that uh, teach uh, the, the young people during the message time. So we're thankful for all those who are just uh, giving of their time and serving the Lord in this way and being a blessing uh, here at Spring Meadow. It's, it's good to have people serve. It really is. And it's a blessing when they do. And they take uh, uh, some of the, the load of the work that needs to be done for the glory of God. And it was good yesterday. I had a good time with God's people and enjoyed uh, not only work in the fellowship, but uh, enjoyed getting some work done here at the church. You're in Colossians chapter 4 now. You better be by now. And if not, uh, you need a Bible that has better listing at the beginning. It tells you the book of names of the Bible books and uh, help you find it there a little bit better. But I want you to do a little imagination or spend a little bit of time imagining something with me this morning. I want you to imagine that three months ago, okay, you got to think back now a little bit, but three months ago uh, that someone came, uh, maybe a reporter came, and met with me and said, I would like to do, uh, I've been uh, desirous of writing an article about independent fundamental Baptist churches. And so I've chosen yours, and I'd like to come and observe what's going on for a time. And then at the end of that time, I'm going to write, uh, I'm going to write probably a book about my experiences. And so he comes, and that was three months ago, he explained it to me, and he's been sitting in the services now for three months. Say, you didn't know that. Yeah, he has been. Yeah, right here. He's been sitting here for the last three months. Keep hitting him every Sunday morning, all right? Whatever. But but uh, let's just imagine that, okay? You got that picture in your mind? All right, if he were to write now what he has learned about independent fundamental Baptist churches, what he's learned about your about service, what he's learned about, about people in churches like ours, because uh, obviously that would be a lot of what he writes. Would he write anything about you? What would he write about you? Would he write about, well, there was a family that was heavily involved in the work at Spring Meadow Baptist Church. And boy, they were in the services all the time. Or would they write, would he write, perhaps, Oh, there was a few people. You know, there was a family that, oh, they showed up every once in a while, but you could tell their hearts weren't in it. What would someone who is observing this church think about you and your service to the Lord? What kind of impression would they have about God and his work if they had been observing your life for the last three months? You say, well, that's not a fair question. No, it is. In fact, it's actually kind of a stirring question, and it's a question we should ask ourselves. And the reason why I brought that up at the beginning of the service is because 
this morning, as we read in Colossians chapter 4, we're coming to the end of the book. And the end of the book is, in reality, a lot of people giving salutations, saying hello and goodbye. Actually, uh, in the writings of the Bible, you'll find most often they do their they do a greeting at the beginning, but then they say they give their salutations, say, all right, farewell, goodbye, or whatever at the end. And as Paul writes and says, so-and-so says hello, you know, or whatever. That's probably the way we would word it. And so-and-so wants you to know he's thinking about you or whatever. Paul writes about these people and really gives us testimony to what they were in the local church and what they were doing and what their lives were like. And so we come to the end of a book, and we have learned some valuable things all the way to this point, but there is still some great value even in the closing remarks and even in these, if you would, these people that are mentioned by Paul, many of them just, he's just saying so-and-so uh, sends, sends regards, so-and-so says hello, so-and-so says goodbye, whatever it may be, and whatever way they're actually saying it. What is going on here in Colossians chapter 4 can be a lesson to us because these were people who were involved in a local church and they have a great testimony. I'm convinced that if a reporter was sitting at, in the church at Colossae, or if he was sitting at a church that some of these people were involved in because Paul was traveling with people, and these were men that were parts of different other churches, that they, this reporter, if he was making a report about the church and what was going on and the people and the things that he learned, he would certainly have recognized these people probably just like Paul did. Men and women. Well, primarily men, at least in this, in the book of Colossians, who are serving God. And I ask you this morning, is that your testimony? Is that your testimony? The Bible says, in verse 7 of Colossians chapter 4, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom ye received commandments. If he come unto you, receive him. And Jesus, which is called Justice, who are of the circumcision, these only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you, and them that are at Laodicea, and them in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea, and Nymphus, and the church which is in his house. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it also be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say unto Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received of the Lord, that thou fulfill it. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul, remember my bonds, grace be with you. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, please open our eyes, our minds, our hearts to the Word of God this morning, to the truth that is found in these passages. 
And I pray that you would stir every Christian in this room. Think about their spiritual condition, their service to Jesus Christ, what they're doing right now for the glory and honor of God. And I pray, Lord, for those that would not be serving as they ought, that you'd stir them. For those who are serving, that they'd be encouraged to continue on. Lord, for those who need to change some things in their lives for the glory of God, may you do a work. For anyone who's here that needs Jesus Christ, I pray as well that, God, you would have your will and your way in their heart and life this morning. And I'll thank you for what you'll do, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Colossians chapter 4 is one of those chapters or one of those places, uh, starting in verse 7, where you kind of have an outline because he's not necessarily teaching anything. I want that to be very clear. And yet, he teaches something. So this morning, I hope you will be challenged about your part, your involvement in a local New Testament church, and learn from these people some things that will help you to be a better servant of Jesus Christ so that you might have the kind of testimony you might have for the glory of God in the church that God has raised up here at Spring Meadow Baptist Church. If this isn't, doesn't happen to be your church home and you have some other church home, then that you might faithfully serve the Lord wherever you may be. It does not matter. There is a local church you should serve in. And this is a great lesson in Colossians chapter 4 for all those who are part of the family of God. So, there isn't a great outline that follows through verses, so let me just share a few things with you. Three things. Wow, surprising, isn't it? Three things I wanted to share with you today. First, let's get some exhortations from the overall passage. As we read through here, again, it was a list of names. It was people that he talked about, people who had ministered with him, people whom he had sent to do things. I mean, there were just a whole slew of people that are being mentioned, people at the church um, here that, uh, that needed to be instructed and needed to be guided. So it's about people, yes. But the point is, and I think the lesson to be learned in the ex overall exhortation of the passage is this, God uses people. Do you realize that Paul had a concern for the church at Colossae, he was, wanted them to learn some things, to be helped in some way, and he wanted as well to know what was going on, so he sent people. Paul was in jail. And he had someone who was in jail with him. At least one person we know, probably a few others, although he doesn't necessarily mention it. One he specifically mentions as a, uh, someone who was in prison with him. He has other people that were involved with the work and serving in the work. Luke, who traveled with him. You can go through and you can read about these various people, what they were called upon to do or, or what he asked them to do or what they were involved in doing that he sent them to the church for. But the point, I think, to be learned in all these verses at the end is that God uses people to help his church forward. He uses people to win people to Jesus Christ. He uses people to serve in a local church so that the work of God might go forward. In fact, we could look at a ton of verses today in the New Testament that talk about that very fact. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Romans chapter 12, God talks about people who have been given spiritual gifts. That's every Christian, by the way, not just certain people. All people who have been saved have spiritual gifts to be used for the benefit of the body of Jesus Christ. 
in these verses that we read, there were people who were just going to serve God and be used of God in various ways. And there's things we'll look at as far as their lives are concerned. But the lesson overall to be learned is that, hey, God uses people for his service. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you're not involved in service, you're not doing what God wants you to do. Because God has never saved someone to sit. God hasn't saved someone to just be a student of the book. I just, I'm just a studier, Pastor. That's all I ever do. That's, that's what I do. That's, that's my life. I study the Word of God. God never called anyone to just be a student. Never. You won't find it. God does tell us to study the Word, but He gives that command to every believer. God calls every believer to be involved. God calls every believer to serve. All people are supposed to be involved in a local church. And Paul's picture today, as he talks about numerous people, and as he talks about the church, all involves this idea that God uses people. Even look at the end, in verse 17. Say to Archippus, here's a guy in the local church. He's this in this church at Colossae, and, and he is just... He's got a job to do. He's got a ministry to uphold. He's got a work that's supposed to be done. And here's what the church was supposed to do. Archibus, do your job. Take heed to your ministry. You got a job to do, then do it. Maybe he was discouraged. I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe he was a young pastor. And he was just getting started out in ministry. And he was supposed to take charge of things. And he was supposed to do the work in the ministry. But here's what I know. God uses people. And if you're one of them, then there's something for you to do in a local church. And if you're not, then you're not fulfilling your calling. You say, well, I'm a call pastor. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, that's only one thing on the, on the whole list. Well, I haven't been called to teach. No, if you look in Romans chapter 12, when God talks about spiritual gifts, that's also only one thing. There's the gift of of being a, of hospitality. The gift of mercy. Everyone has something to do. And Colossians 4 reminds us of that fact. As we see many people talked about who had something to do for the cause of Christ. So the exhortation is God uses people to impact the church. So the second point under that is that God expects you to be productive in the church. If God uses people, and you happen to be one of them, if you're one of those, if you're a people today, would you raise your hand? You have people today? Okay, good. Most everyone, even Brother Umstead said, got that this morning, all right? We're all people, all right? Then we need to be productive. Something we should do. You know, I asked you that question at the beginning. If you can imagine back, and if we had someone for the past three months observing, would someone say that you're productive from everything they have observed? If people are watching your life, what are you doing for Jesus Christ? Tychicus was serving God. Onesimus was serving God. Luke was serving God. Archippus was serving God. They were all doing different things. You know, we don't have any indication that any of the people mentioned had the same, well, actually, two men had the same job because they were sent for the same purpose, but they both had a work to do within church. But quite frankly, they all had different things to do, but they all had something to do. So if you're a people, be productive for the cause of Christ. That is a good overall message that we can glean and we can take as we close this book of Colossians, which has to do with the preeminence of Jesus Christ. 
Christ, the preeminent one who formed the church, who is the preeminent in salvation, who is the preeminent one in creation, the preeminent God of all expects you to be involved in service for Jesus Christ. So are you doing your part? That's an overall exhortation. But today, and this is where I'd like to focus our attention, um, I want you to see some examples in the passage. Examples of people served. And look at what they did, and let's find out some things that the church needs uh, from people. What kind of things were praised? What kind of things were talked about? As Paul talks about Tychicus, well, you know, what do we learn about him? And is there anything we can learn from him? As he talks about Onesimus or Aristarchus or, uh, or Jesus, who is called Justice or Epaphras. What do these men teach us and what can they help us to learn? And what kind of example can they be in our lives? Well, let me give you a list. All right. This is a this is a great list day. So let's look at a number of things. First, the church needs trustworthy people. The church needs trustworthy people. In verse 7, he says, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and, notice this, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. The Bible tells us in verse 9, with Onesimus, a, what's the next word? Faithful and beloved brother. Now, they were both loved. Obviously, they were loved because they were good people, and maybe we should have added that to the list. You can put that down, too. They were good people. There were people that that uh, that were doing things that were right, but the church needs trustworthy people, people that you can count on to do that which is right. Both of these men, one of the qualities he brings out, he says, "Hey, look, I want you to I want you to listen to what this guy has to say, and I want you to follow him. And I have found that he is trustworthy. You can count on him." And it's sad that we even have to say that, but the church needs trustworthy people. Do you realize that in this area, this area of Tennessee, in the last couple of years, two pastors have been found to be very unfaithful in churches that we would call good churches. Two who have failed our Lord. Two who are doing, well, one who's doing time. And probably another one who will. Because they weren't trustworthy. Because God entrusted them with something and they blew it. We can probably mention a lot of pastors and names of people who have failed God. I've heard of people, I've heard of uh, financial advisors at churches that have run off with money, haven't you? You hear about people all the time who are unfaithful. But you know, when Paul talks in the book of Colossae about people in the church, he doesn't talk about the unfaithful. He doesn't say so-and-so pastor blew it, such-and-such deacon uh, ran off with someone, such-and-such did this, the treasurer ran off with the funds of the church. No, no, he says, I want you to know there are faithful people. And there's something that encourages me today is that in churches like ours, we always magnify the ones that are doing wrong, but quite honestly, there are a lot of people that are just doing what's right. They're trustworthy. They're doing the work that God wants them to do. And you know what? That's what God expects of you. It's what God expects of me. God expects this pastor to be trustworthy to, the, to what God has entrusted me with. By the way, Archippus was being called upon to do that, wasn't he, in verse 17? 
Archippus, you got a work to be done. Be trustworthy. Do the job. Get to it. Do the work that God's called you to do, whatever it may cost you, whatever it, whatever it may involve. Just be trustworthy. Church needs more people like that. can be counted on. Um, i got to tell you, it's a great blessing as a pastor when you can give someone a job and trust them to do it. Just do it. You, you can say, hey, would you take care of such and such? And no, they don't have to call them six times. You don't have to check up on it because you know it's going to be done because they are trustworthy. Have you ever had a, a, a guy you hired to do a job and they weren't trustworthy? Why is it that construction workers seem to be like that all the time? You know, you hire some guy to do construction. I'll be there on Tuesday and start the job. You know, Tuesday you're there and you're, you stay home all day, right? Because they were supposed to come at, at 8 in the morning, get started on the job. And, and so, you know, Tuesday, it's it's Tuesday afternoon at 2 o'clock. You give them a call. You've been calling them all morning, but they haven't answered their phone, you know. And then, oh, something happened. I'm sorry I wasn't able to make it, but I'm going to be there first thing tomorrow morning. The Wednesday morning, you're there and you're waiting. And 8 o'clock and 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock. And you're on the phone again, calling and calling and calling. Because people aren't trustworthy. Can you be counted on to do what's right? The church desperately needs people today. By the way, I said there were two people, two pastors who have failed God in this area, at least we've heard about in the last couple of years. But can I say this? There are a number of independent fundamental Baptist churches in this area, probably 20 or 30, I would say, within, what, 50 miles of this church. And I would, I would tell you that, quite honestly, there's far more that are trustworthy than haven't been. And that's what God is looking for. And what was great about Paul is he could write about these men and say, hey, listen to this guy, because I found that he's trustworthy. He is faithful. He does what he's been asked to do. He is a trustworthy person. Look, trustworthy people aren't just people that are needed with important jobs. Trustworthy extends to the, to the guy cleaning the church for a month. Trustworthiness um, is about being at church all the time when the doors are open, faithfully. Trustworthy. Just count to do what's right. To do what's right all the time. Whether it's big, whether it's small. Trustworthy witness is needed at home between a husband and wife. It's people who can be trusted to do what's right. You know what the church all needs? Our list could it could be very long. And we're gonna, we have six or seven things we'll mention. But we find that he wasn't only a, a faithful minister, but we read these words. He was a fellow servant. Do you see that at the end of verse 7? Uh, we uh, find that these men were, and look if you would at verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you? And notice these words, a servant of Christ. You know what those words, both words mean? They were slaves. The church needs slaves. You say, yeah, well, that's how I feel sometimes. Feel like pastors always give me something to do and I feel like a slave. Okay, that's not the idea. <clears throat> and if you do, um, wow, I need help because that's not how I'm supposed to make it look. But there's some people, some people maybe. All right, we won't mention any names here. No, the truth is the church needs People who are slaves of Jesus Christ, not slaves of a pastor. 
but people who are slaves of Jesus Christ. Really, literally, he said that Tychicus was a, um, a fellow servant, a co-servant, a servant just like I am, a slave of Jesus Christ. We need people who don't follow people, but who follow our Lord and Savior and are slaves of his. God, whatever you have for me, whatever you want from me, whatever you tell me to do, God, I'll do. It's a slave. Jesus illustrated slaves in Luke chapter 17. You don't turn there this morning, but you can read this, the, the story he told about or the illustration he used, if you would, about a guy who goes out and works in the field all day. And when he gets done at the end of the day, when he comes in, does the owner of this slave tell the slave, you sit down, I'll make it for you. Does he? No. You know what the slave is called upon to do, basically? Make dinner for the master. Hey, wait a second. Wait a second. It don't work that way. I've been out in the yard all day. What do you mean I'm supposed to make dinner now for everyone else? Are you kidding me? But you know what? A slave doesn't say that, does he? The slave comes in and he gets to work at the kitchen and he gets things ready because, get this, because that's what a slave is supposed to do. And at the end of the day, when everything's said and done, Jesus given this illustration in Luke 17, does the master come to the, to the slave, to the servant, and say, man, you did a great job today. Wow, I was impressed with your work. Does he? No. Master says nothing. Goes to bed. I've slept all day. Master didn't even say thanks. Do you know there's some people in church that get miffed when someone doesn't notice or say anything about the fact that they sang or they did something? But Jesus in Luke 17 said, slaves don't worry about that. Slaves just do what they're supposed to do. And they do whatever they're told to do. That's their attitude. By the way, I'm, I'm not saying that so I can get you to do whatever I want you to do. We're talking about slaves of Jesus Christ here. Who say, God, whatever I can do in service to you, I'll do it. And I don't need any word of thanks. I don't need anyone to notice my work. And Lord, if you have me work in the field all day and I come home and you want and I have to prepare a meal and no one notices what I've done, if that's what you expect, Lord, I will do it. I'm your slave. And when Paul talked about these two men, that's what he praised. Wouldn't it be awesome? If some reporter observed you in this church for three months and at the end said, that person is a slave of Jesus Christ. Oh, he probably wouldn't use those words unless maybe he came to faith in Jesus Christ and started to understand what a Christian is supposed to be. But wouldn't it be great if he would in his terms and maybe in the way he would explain, say, man, that guy is sold out to Jesus Christ. Church needs trustworthy people, people that can be counted on to do what's right. The church also needs slaves of Jesus Christ, ones who are following Christ no matter what the cost, no matter what the price, just doing whatever needs to be done. But you know the church also needs something else. In verse 8, he says, Whom I have sent unto you, still dealing with Tychicus, 
Man, Tychicus, he has a lot of things to be praised, doesn't he? He sent unto you for the same purpose that he might know your estate. And then what was he supposed to do at the end of verse 8? All right, say those three words with me. Comfort your heart. You know the church needs comforters? And I'm not talking about comforters so you can fall asleep in the morning service. You got that? All right. I'm not talking about something to keep you warm because the air conditioning is on is, is too low. All right? We're not talking about those kind of comforters. We're talking about the kind of comforters that just encourage people because that seems to be the idea and the point that Paul sent Tychicus and Paul sent uh, Onesimus, right? Yes, okay, Onesimus, these two men, and their job and their ministry and their focus when they went was to just be a comfort to these believers because Christians need encouragement. I know you don't. You never do. You don't need anyone to encourage you. Do you? Isn't it, isn't it nice when someone cares? When someone brings words of comfort or when someone just brings words of encouragement to your heart. The church needs people like that. Church needs uh, Tychicus's. A bunch of them. And Onesimus's. A bunch of them. Just comforters. One writer said, um, life is hard. That's really profound, isn't it? Life is hard. That's one of my favorite statements. <laughs> Just say that to the kid. Life's hard. You know, it's the way it goes. Uh, but he said it in a different way. Let, let me explain it. He, he wrote, believers in Christ are sometimes disconsolate. It might be by reason of indwelling sin, Satan's temptation, the hiding of God's face, afflictions or persecutions, or maybe just their own suffering. Perhaps even the suffering of those of others around them that they love. And here's the conclusion he made based on, uh, on what was written about these two men. He said this, It is the business of servants of Christ to comfort these people. Is that your business? Look, do, you, do you look for people who are hurting and try to help? Do, do you look for people who have had a rough week and just try to give them a word of encouragement? When you hear that someone's going in for a test, do you follow up and give them a call, maybe before or after? Let them know before you're praying for them or after to find out how things went. Comfort. These guys were sent. Here, here, here's your job. Go comfort. Wouldn't it be great if someone told you, okay, that's your job. So, so I'm telling you this morning, here it is. Everyone, is everyone listening? Go comfort someone. Because that's the job of every Christian. Still, to be a help. Look, if you would, turn back to Ephesians chapter 6. Never noticed this before, but as Paul closed the book of Ephesians, I want you to see, this is interesting. Look in verse 21. But that ye, may, ye also may know my affairs. Wow, does that sound familiar? And how I do, um, Titius, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things who I have sent unto you for the same purpose that ye might know our affairs, and that he might... This guy had a ministry of comfort, obviously. 
<laughs> hey, look, the church of Colossae needs you. The church at Ephesus needs you. Go there this week. You know, I mean, this guy must have been good at it, right? You know what Barnabas was known as, what his name meant? That was the name given, by the way, of Christians to this, this man, Barnabas. Okay, it was the son of consolation. He was a consoler. It was his job. And he did that, by the way. You can observe it. In the life of Paul, he took, he took Saul before he was Paul. All right? He took Saul in and he brought him to the believers. He took Mark when, no one, when Paul said, I'm not going to travel with that guy. He's trouble. And Barnabas took him and ends up where Marcus is mentioned in the book of Colossians as someone who is valuable to the ministry of Christ because someone, someone was a, had a ministry of comfort, encouragement, help. Oh, my. The church needs that, and quite honestly, um, uh, everyone needs to be involved in, in, in comforting. And again, you don't have to be called on. It's not as if you should be waiting for, for me to give you a call and say, hey, so-and-so is having surgery this week. Why don't you check on him? Just do it. You shouldn't need someone to send you around, did you guess, I guess, per se, and do the work. But isn't it amazing that this guy was sent to two different places by Paul because he realized he had a great quality about him. He was an encourager, a comforter. And may we do that. Church needs comforters. Uh, by the way, uh, there's enough people in church that are like Job's friends, and we don't need those. Don't need any of those because you don't need to ask people to do that. Because people are real good at being Job's friends. But most people just need to be taught, this is what you're supposed to do, and that's to be an encouragement and to be an encourager. May we. Church needs comforters. The church needs self-sacrificing people. Look in verse 10. Aristarchus is mentioned there, and he says he's my fellow prisoner. Sometimes living for Jesus Christ costs. Aren't you thankful that we don't have to worry about being thrown in prison in America? It's hard to imagine, isn't it? I, I've lived here all my life, so it's hard for me to imagine. But there are places where people who are Christians have to be worried about their their safety, their lives, and very well even the matter of imprisonment. And yes, that's in our world today. We're not talking about the world 100 years ago. We're not talking about the world in the day of, of Christ. We're talking about the world today where there are Christians who are in prison this very moment right now because they have been willing to stand up for the name of Jesus Christ and say, I am a Christian, and they're willing to pay the price. And that's what God's looking for in this church. You know what's amazing? Is that we think we're suffering because someone closes the door in our face if we go on door to door. We think that we're suffering if, if some person stops talking to us because we tried to be a witness or we tried to share Jesus Christ with them, and, uh, and now they're mad at us, and, and we're all bent out of shape about about the suffering that we have to do for Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not making light of it because, quite honestly, it seems like suffering, doesn't it? Because our living for Jesus Christ is so much easier in America than it is so many places. But it doesn't matter where you are. A Christian needs to be willing to pay the price, whatever it is, to do the work that God's called them to do. God's looking for, for people who are... Uh, Self-sacrificing. Okay, I'll do that. Sure, I'm willing to go to If that takes, I'll do that for the cause of Jesus Christ. 
Hey, it may not mean prison, but if it means in order to do that which is right, I am going to serve Jesus Christ. No, no, I know. It's not going to mean at all what it means to some people in a foreign land because if they testify of Christ, they might be disowned by their family. But I am going to stand up for Jesus Christ and let it know, be known that I'm a Christian and I'm going to witness for Christ even if my family doesn't like it. The Lord, the Lord needs, the work of God needs self-sacrificing people, people willing to pay the price. Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And quite honestly, you want to know where it's it's coming from more and more. It's coming from those in supposed Christianity who have no standards, who don't live for Jesus Christ, and say, don't bother me about how to live my life. But the truth of the matter is Christians need to be willing to make sacrifices. The church needs co-laborers, people who will work together. Verse 11, and Jesus, which is called justice, who are of the circumcision, these only are my fellow workers under the kingdom of God. You know, it's interesting. Paul didn't just give this list and say, yeah, I got this. Here, here are the people that are, are comforters. Here are the people that are. No, he just talks about these people, and these are the things that stand out. And you know what he says about justice? He says, justice and I, we're co-laborers. We work together. Look, there are physicians that God has given in the church. There's no doubt about that. God talks about deacons. God talks about pastors. God talks about teachers. There are people who have responsibilities. Some of those responsibilities involve leadership. Some of those responsibilities involve um, taking oversight of a ministry. That's what a pastor does and leads a church in a certain way. Yes, there are people like that, but quite frankly, it's not. this is not Steve Schwenke's church. It's not my church. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And that's not Latter-day Saints either, okay? This is the church of Jesus Christ. It is his ministry. And quite honestly, the pastor is one part of it. And so is a deacon. And so is so are the people who are members of a local church and just serve God and do whatever needs to be done. So that, quite frankly, Brother Farrington and I are just, we're co-laborers. The church needs co-laborers. Do you know that in churches like ours, and, and, and sometimes, yes, even in our church, there are people who sit back and, and they just expect everything to be done and the work to be accomplished, and they do nothing themselves, when in reality, everyone needs to see themselves as a co-laborer. There's something for the, the Johnsons to do at Spring Meadow Baptist Church. There's something for the Wileys to be involved in and, and serve here at, at Spring Meadow Baptist Church. The Simpsons have a job to do here. We're all co-laborers. And I wasn't trying to pick certain people out this morning. I'm just trying to bring out the point is that, is that it's not, oh, look at that's the pastor's work, and boy, look at what's, what's going on, and boy, I don't like what's going on. All right, if you don't, then help. And let's serve God together. There's something you can do. The church needs co-laborers. And I love it because when we think of Paul, don't we think of someone, wow, Paul, leader of churches. What a missionary, evangelist, pastor. I mean, you could call him anything. Missionary. And, and Paul says, here's Justin. 
How many of you have heard Justice before? Do you know, I, there's not another mention of him in the Bible that I know of. All right, so, so who would have heard? No one would have ever heard of Justice. But Paul said of that guy, he and I, we work together. And let me tell you something. Some pastors need to understand that. Some people need to understand that. We're all, we're all here to work for Jesus Christ. This is his church. And let's all do our part. Church needs co-laborers. Do you see how valuable and what we can, what we can learn from, from just closing remarks? Because in it, we learn about people who the church needs. The church needs co-workers in God's ministry. Uh, by the way, the word laborer, laborer means uh, someone who toils, someone who works hard. Give me the easy jobs, Pastor. I, I, I tell you, there are some people that are such a blessing because as a pastor, I can go and say, hey, this needs to be done. And no matter what it is, it's kind of like, yeah, all right, I'll do that. The work needs workers. It does. And God wants you to have a part. Let me give you the last thing, and probably not the last we could give you. But the church needs changed people. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Uh, there are three interesting men, as I read through these, who exemplify people who changed. Two were good, and one was bad. That's right. Two were good, one was bad. Actually, one was good, bad, good. Three people who changed. First was Onesimus. You can read about him the way in the book of Philemon. Because Onesimus was a slave of Philemon and ran away. Left. Took off. And he, and he got caught or something and ended up in prison. And he happened to meet a guy by the name of Paul when he was in prison. And as was... Uh, uh, what a regular occurrence with Paul. Onesimus heard the gospel and got saved. In the book of Philemon, at least a good portion of it, Paul is writing to him saying, Onesimus left you. He failed his job. He wasn't a good servant. He ended up in prison and he had faith in Christ and he is a beloved brother now. Changed for the good. You know, we need to see that happening. We need to see people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. By the way, none of us would have thought Onesimus would ever be in the church, I suspect, because the guy wasn't a good slave. He wasn't even a good slave. He ran away, ended up in jail. you got to be doing something wrong. Do you see that? Most people probably said about him, oh, he could never change. And, and I say the same about your neighbors and about your relatives and about other people that you look at and say they could never come to faith in Christ. Look, God can change people. He's in the business of changing people. So let's be doing what we can to share the good news of the gospel. There's a, there's a message in that for us. But what's so wonderful to be reminded is that God can change people. Onesimus became fruitful, fruitful to Paul, fruitful to Philemon. 
a guy he wasn't fruitful to before because God changes lives. I already made mention of a guy by the name of Marcus. You see them, him in verse 10? Marcus! Marcus was a young guy, and I seemed to be serving God because Barnabas and Paul took him with them on their missionary journey. But somewhere along the line, Marcus got off, and he left. And Paul was so bent out of shape about that that he wouldn't, he wouldn't take him on the second missionary journey. And they, Barnabas and him split up over work. But here is mentioned. Do you know Mark is mentioned in 1 Timothy 4 at the end of Paul's life? And he says, Mark is profitable for, to me for the ministry. God changed his life. I am so thankful that God not only saves the lost and changes their lives, but God helps backslidden Christians get back and right with him and helps them to take steps to move forward for God. And you know, if you happen to be one of those people, like Marcus, that has been faithful to the Lord, you can change. Isn't that encouraging? Now, I, I got to mention number three, because Demas is mentioned here, and he's mentioned positively, isn't he? Luke and Demas. Hey, these are two guys. They greet you. Hey, hey, everything's going fine. Everything's going wonderfully. You know what Paul wrote about Demas later? Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Let me tell you, Christian, I don't care how long you've been serving Jesus Christ. I don't care how long you've been saved. Every Christian can backslide if they start loving the world. And Demas is one of those on the change side that you don't want to be. Because at the latter end, he just loved the world. Somewhere, somehow, sometime in his service to Jesus Christ, he got his eyes off Jesus Christ, stopped serving the Lord, and started loving things. And he changed for the worse. Three men mentioned here all that God, God changed too positively. And one left our Lord and forsook him and changed in a negative way. And quite honestly, you can be any of the above. So, look, what kind of person are you? There isn't an outline to make of Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 to the end that walks through some great truths. But quite honestly, these people, every one of them can teach us, every one of them, things that we need for our lives. So, why not look over these people and ask yourself this question? If Paul were writing about me, what would he write? And if it wouldn't be good, then why not, by the grace of God and with his help, why not change? So that you become indispensable to God's work. Because I remind you, it's God's work. It's not about Spring Meadow Baptist Church. It's about Jesus Christ, the preeminent one. And he deserves your best. And this church needs your best to be what it ought for the glory of God. There's not a person in this room that can't evaluate their life 
and ask, what am I doing for my Lord that's worthy of mention? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm going to ask you this morning, did God speak to you about your life, about your